smells Jesus-y. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We are the aroma of Christ. God has spoken in many ways. Welcome to Smells Jesus-y, the podcast from Three Crosses Church. Today we're finishing our series, Power is Perfected in Weakness. In this episode, Matt Waldron is speaking to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 to 13, verse 14. Power is perfected in service. Here's Matt. Well, Annie Lennox was a great singer with a great band, the Eurythmics. I'm on. Awesome. Uh, she sang, Now there was a time when they used to say that behind every great man there had to be a great woman. But in these times of change, you know, that it's no longer true. So we're coming out of the kitchen because there's something we forgot to say to you. Sisters are doing it for themselves. Well, this is one of those popular expressions where I think people mean something that's not exactly what the words say. What I think is meant in this song is that we shouldn't limit ourselves or other people by stereotypes. That's, that's a good message, that seems to be the point. But what the words actually say is that men and women don't need each other. Uh, right, in the modern Western world, we have this right concern to uh, say that everybody is responsible for themselves, and that's, that's right, but sometimes get, people get carried away with that and say that people don't need each other. Well, whether you're a man or a woman, the danger is to think that giving yourself up for your family is repression, when actually that's wonderful to love your family, to love each other, and to serve each other. Uh, the, the trend in our culture, in Australia today, is to think that what everybody needs is more independence. And so giving yourself up for other people is generally not fashionable. Giving yourself up for people who you're not even related to, who you might not even like, that is unthinkable for most people. Until Jesus saves you into his family by giving himself up for you. That changes everything. The apparent weakness of giving yourself up for your Christian family sums up what is happening between Paul and the Corinthian church in this letter. We've been looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 to 13. Uh, We've had a little break the last couple of weeks. We're finishing that off today. We've seen that God's power is made perfect in weakness. Specifically, power is made perfect in gentleness. Power is made perfect in uh, loyalty. Power is made perfect in humility. And today we're going to see that power is made perfect in service. Uh, And the way Paul describes this, the way Paul thinks about this, is God's people are a family together. So back in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul said, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and open wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. He says, I see you 
like my children in the gospel. You need to see me like your dad in the gospel. Well, actually, probably he would say they need to see him as their mum, because God is their only father. But uh, Paul might have held back from saying that because he was concerned the Corinthians were not that woke yet. Anyway, uh, Paul, Paul is writing to them to deal with a number of issues to prepare for him to visit them. Some people today think it's unlikely that Paul would say such challenging things to them and also say such positive things to, him, to them. But this is the framework. He sees them as his kids. So on one hand, he's very close to them. He's very devoted to them. He's very confident about them. But boy, he also wants them to make the most of these things. He doesn't want just the basics from them. He wants them to have a family relationship. Right? The Corinthian Christians do respect Paul as a fellow Christian. They just aren't devoted to him as a leader in the church family the way they could be, the way that would be best for them as well as for Paul. So the conclusion to the letter that we looked at, we just had it read for us, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, through to the end, chapter 13, verse 14. Uh, there's, there's four big contours here that we can summarize with the family metaphor. You can't buy family, you can't choose family, you can't escape family responsibility. So we're all in this together. So we're going to sort of work through 2 Corinthians 12, 11 to 13, 14, but I'm just going to dip in at key points to show you these four ideas. Uh, we can talk about more of the fine detail over coffee if you'd like. So you can't buy family, you can't choose family, you can't escape family responsibility, we're all in this together. First, you can't buy family. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 14 and 15. Now I am ready to visit you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Now, Paul's in the middle of explaining why he won't let them pay him. And it's because he wants, well, not their possessions, but them. It's not a business relationship, it's a family relationship. So he uses this family metaphor. Children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Parents don't have children hoping to inherit from them. They have children hoping to leave an inheritance to them. It's not a business relationship, but that's more what the Corinthians want. You might hear today of a wealthy person being described as a great patron of the arts. They give money to artists or galleries, and, and that shows not only that they're generous, but what a sophisticated person they are, because they appreciate the arts and they're helping the arts to flourish. Well, maybe the Corinthian Christians would like to have that kind of relationship with Paul. They see Paul as, you know, a motivational speaker, and so, if they could be a patron to him, if they could help fund him, that would show how sophisticated, not only generous, but sophisticated, because they support this sophisticated spiritual leader. But Paul does not want that kind of relationship with his spiritual children. Shouldn't children care for their parents in their old age? Sure. But Paul's not ready to retire. The bottom line is you cannot buy family. Well, uh, according to the internet, in 1994, 
27-year-old Playboy magazine playmate, Anna Nicole Smith married 89-year-old billionaire J. Howard Marshall. They said they had fallen deeply in love. Marshall's family particularly was skeptical. A lot of people are skeptical. I mean, is it possible to genuinely fall in love with a wealthy person old enough to be your grandfather? Look, it's possible, but it does seem more likely to fall in love with the money. Is it possible that he genuinely fell in love? Sure, it's possible, but it seems more likely that he fell in love with her body, right? We don't know. Paul doesn't want any of that confusion or concern about his relationship with the Corinthian church. He wants it to be clear that their relationship is all about Jesus. Now, I haven't observed any of those kind of problems uh, with you and our church, which I'm very thankful for. But it's worth being on guard about this because this is the culture all around us. The culture all around us is that money is what makes life happen, that money is the foundation. Uh, If somebody uh, wants to talk to you about your retirement and planning for your retirement, what's the first question they're going to ask? How much money do you need to have to maintain your lifestyle? It's going to start with the question about money. If somebody wants to recruit you into some grand money-making scheme, they'll probably start by asking you, what are your dreams for your life? Then they'll ask, how much money will it take to make that happen? The assumption is that uh, money is what you need to get what you want out of life. More than one of my friends who are pastors, also pastors, uh, have said something to me like, it's easy to get people in my church to give money. It's hard to get people to give time. That's not made my experience with you, but it is a common way that our culture seeps into churches where people want to buy the relationship. Just pay a bit of money and that's it. So they don't need to give themselves. Paul won't let the Corinthians give money instead of giving themselves. You can't buy family. Secondly, you can't choose family. Look at chapter 12, verse 19. Paul says, Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ, and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. Paul has spent the last couple of chapters dealing with criticisms of his ministry and explaining why he's the real deal as an apostle. So people could quite reasonably infer that he's defending himself to them. But he says, no, no, he's speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. How do those in Christ speak before God? Well, those in Christ know we have to give an account to God for our lives. Those in Christ know that God is the judge of everyone. And so what other people isn't what what other people think is not the crucial issue. What God thinks is what matters. So Paul is not defending himself to the Corinthians to try and get them to retain him as their apostle. God has made Paul their apostle and Paul is explaining how he fulfills his part in God's family with God as his witness to encourage and strengthen the Corinthians to play their part in God's family. And their part's connected with Paul. So look how he he starts to really crunch down on their part in verse 20. For I am afraid 
that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. Right? We both have expectations of each other that it seems like we're worried are going to be disappointed. You're worried I'm not going to be as an impressive as impressive a speaker, a forceful speaker, as you'd like me to be. What's Paul worried about? The rest of verse 20, I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorder. Paul may not be quite what the Corinthians are expecting as a speaker, but he's concerned, are they living the way they should be as Christians? Paul's not explaining so they can decide whether they want to continue in the relationship. He's explaining so that they, need, they can see that they need to answer to God for their relationships in God's family. Look at verse 21. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin and debauchery in which they have indulged. Right, Paul isn't concerned about how the Corinthians will judge his ministry. He's concerned about how God will evaluate his ministry as shown in are the people in Corinth who he has led to Christ, are they genuinely following Jesus? Is that showing in their lives? And obviously there are people in the past who have committed these sexual sins, which were, you know, pretty fashionable in Corinth, and they've, they've said they're sorry and they're not going to do any more, and he's beginning to be concerned. Are they really following through with that, or have they gone back to their old ways? So that's the reason Paul has been going on about how his ministry is made perfect in weakness by God's power, because he wants their godliness to be made perfect in weakness by God's power. When they feel like, oh, we're too weak to change. Yeah, that's what it's like following Jesus. But God is the one who is powerful to work in you. So notice the application of this for us uh, is not that people are not allowed to change churches. Like Paul is talking about their devotion to him as their apostle. And the point is, you know, keep growing in godliness together. The application is not, you're not allowed to move geographically, which in their case would have been the, the main way they would have changed churches. Or in our case, because we're blessed with so many uh, local churches, uh, the point is not that we can't change churches. There may be good reasons to change churches at times. But the point is we're supposed to be so devoted to each other, regardless of our natural inclinations. We're supposed to be so devoted to purity in our relationship with God trusting him powerfully to grow us in that. What's Paul worried about finding in the Corinth when he visits? Well, remember verse 20, discord, people not getting along in the church, jealousy, people wanting what each other have, fits of rage, people losing their tempers at each other, selfish ambition, people wanting what's best for me instead of what is wanting what is best for their Christian brothers and sisters. Slander and gossip. Ooh, speaking of each other negatively, either behind our backs, spreading rumours, or in front of people's faces, you know, confronting them horribly. Like, and then disorder. 
just disorder, right? It's hard to be organized as a family if everyone wants everything done their way. Right? The solution is not repression, where no one says what they think. The solution is devotion, where everyone says what they think, caringly and humbly and with commitment and trust, serving each other. We can't just choose our Christian family just based on what's convenient. Personality, age, culture, preference, style. I mean, we've got to figure out how to make those things work. But we need to be devoted to each other for service and growing together. If, if you choose a church where everyone is exactly the same with, as you, that just guarantees you'll have all the same blind spots in order to minimise your growth in following Jesus. It's a great blessing to have different ages, different personalities, different cultural backgrounds in a church so we can help each other see our blind spots. as we serve each other, as we're devoted to each other, as we're seeking to grow together. Uh, Paul says Christians are to be so devoted to each other. What he's imagining is that they're so part of each other's lives that even the culturally accepted sins in Corinth won't be able to continue. Right, that's verse 21. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you and I'll be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin and debauchery in which they've indulged. Like, we could read that thinking, debauchery, that sounds terrible. Surely they can. That was the stuff that, what Paul has in mind, is the stuff that happened normally as a person in Corinth. That was just part of life in Corinth. And so, it could just happen because everyone did it and it was no big deal. Everyone just knows this is part of life. But then the Christians were supposed to be so close to each other, so part of each other's lives, that those things could not continue. They could not continue in the church, even though they could continue all around. So, uh, in being part of a local church, uh, and looking around the room, uh, you're all great parts of our local church. So like I said, this is not something that I've picked, you know, because I think you need to hear it. It's just where we're up to in the Bible. It does go against the culture around us, and so it's good to be reminded and to keep growing together in this. You can't choose your family in the sense that we need to be devoted to one another to serve and grow together. Uh, even when that happens in the context of choosing what local church we're part of. Thirdly, you can't escape family responsibility. Look at chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. So the Corinthian church are not denying that Christ has the right to tell them how to live, but they're not sure Paul is the one they want to completely listen to. I mean, more to the point, uh, there are some people at least 
who think there are some Christian leaders that are better to listen to than Paul. So Paul warns them that Christ really does speak through him and so they're going to experience that when he visits. What will that look like? Well, if they're persisting in sin, Christ is going to bring them into line, discipline them, do something. Uh, How might Christ do that through Paul? Well, there could be a variety of ways. It could be that the majority of the Corinthian church will hear Paul preaching and be convicted of what Paul's saying is what Christ is saying and so then they will all turn to the person who's continuing that sin and say you've got to stop this you can't really be part of our church while you continue doing that please stop they will socially censor that sin that is socially approved in that culture that might be what it looks like Uh, that was Paul's aim in 1 Corinthians 6 where he tells the church to do that in regard to a particular sin Uh, It could be that Christ will work through the means of sickness. That is, Paul will tell people, they won't listen, the people who are sinning won't repent, and then they'll get sick. And Christ will use that to, to give them a scare, to bring them to their senses. And so then they'll stop their sin. Uh, Paul mentions that kind of thing happening in this church in 1 Corinthians 11. He says some of them have fallen sick because they're not repenting of sin. It could be by signs and wonders, which Paul mentioned at the start of our Bible passage today. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12, I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. I think the the obvious uh, reason you have to persevere in performing signs and wonders is uh, is because people persecute you. That's, That's the kind of story... Uh, Paul experiences in the book of Acts where he performs uh, miracles to show that Jesus is really Messiah and that creates opposition. But I also wonder if some of it was persevering because the church wasn't listening. (laughs) You've done this miracle, I'm very helpful, I'm very thankful for that, now I'm going to get on with ignoring what you're saying. I do wonder if that happened, that would certainly require perseverance. Anyway, Christ has a range of uh, ways of working through Paul that he uses and so uh, Paul doesn't know exactly what's going to happen when he goes to visit but he does know that Christ is going to work and that Christ is going to work to turn his people away from sin to follow him. Uh, Despite the fact that Paul is weak, Christ works powerfully through Paul. Just as Christ Uh, worked powerfully through Paul, you know, in himself and his experience of following Jesus, he can work powerfully through Paul to help other Christians follow Jesus. So, uh, chapter 13, verse 4, Paul says, For to be sure, he, that's Jesus, was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him in our dealing with you. So Paul's Paul's warning them, I'm coming, if you're still sinning, that's going to be bad. Not because I'm powerful, but because Jesus is powerful. You can't get away from your Christian family responsibility. You have to answer to Jesus. So, 
You can't buy family, you can't choose family, you can't escape family responsibility, but all of that adds up to something very encouraging. We are all in this together. Look at chapter 13, verses 5 to 6. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now that, uh, just, we've got to see the little twist that Paul does there to see what he's saying. Right, so, so back up and remember, Paul's writing to them to prepare them for his visit. One of the issues is their relationship with him as their apostle. He's warning them that Christ is going to sort them out through Paul when he comes. So he gives them the obvious advice, sort yourselves out before I get there. Take a good, hard look at yourselves. Is Christ really in you? Then get on with following him. He's already expressed his confidence back in chapter 2, verse 3. I wrote as I did so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. In other words, that you would turn and get ready and do the right thing. Then in chapter 7, verse 16, I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. So in chapter 13, verses 4 and 5, we might expect Paul to say, examine yourselves to see whether you're really in the faith, test yourselves, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you, unless of course you fail the test, and I trust that you will discover that you have not failed the test. You might expect him to say that, but he doesn't say that, because he's already said that them, their genuine faith, their progress as Christians, shows his genuineness as an apostle the genuineness of his Christian leadership. And so it's just, he's saying, look at yourself and you'll see that I haven't failed the test. When you see that you're genuinely following Jesus, you'll see that I've genuinely led you in following Jesus. Uh, Paul expects them, when they look at themselves, to find that they are genuine, God-loving, Christ-trusting, Spirit-empowered disciples. And if that's the case then the person who led them to Christ must have been a genuine Christian leader. But Paul says the same thing explicitly back in chapter 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Right, so Paul expects the Corinthians to examine themselves, see that they are genuine Christians, realize that he is their genuine apostle, and so keep turning to Jesus, keep turning away from sin, keep progressing together as a church. They are all in it together. Uh, as you know, Cheryl and I have taken our, our kids and moved in with my mum and dad for a time, so there's eight of us living in the house. So whatever happens to one person in the house, it has an impact on everyone else in the house. I mentioned uh, to someone before the service, my parents went away for a couple of days and then their motorhome broke down very early in the trip. So uh, now they're going to be away longer than they planned. So now the impact of them being away and you know, other people having to do things that they usually do, that's 
that's now an impact on everybody else in the house, and that's, that's going to go on for longer. We ha they have to adjust their plans, the rest of us have to adjust our plans. I'm not, I'm not complaining, but it's just a good example. Like, that's what family life is like. We're all in it together. So I think, I think that's our experience as a church. How could we grow in that? Well, let me share an aspiration with you. Uh, I met a, a, an Aussie guy a few weeks ago who used to be uh, a missionary in India. I forget what part of India. But he said in the time that he was there, it was quite common for uh, Christian leaders, pastors, to experience persecution in the face of, in the, in the form of physical assault. So basically, Christian pastors were getting beaten up. I've forgotten the stat he told me. It was, I think it was more than one in ten uh, Christian pastor had been beaten up. And he said the interesting thing was, the thing that was interesting to him was, the pastors who had beaten up, had been beaten up, were not afraid of persecution. Because they'd been beaten up, and God had gotten them through, and they'd gone, oh, is that it? I guess I'll get on with following Jesus. The Christian pastors who had not been beaten up were very afraid of persecution. And so my, the thing I was curious about is what was that like for their churches? It would be possible to be a member of a church where the pastor was beaten up and for that to fill you with fear. But wouldn't it be great if the church was so tight-knit, so close to each other, that when one member of the church suffers, everybody else feels like they're going through it with the person. So then when you get through it, everybody feels like God has brought them through it and they're all strengthened in their perseverance. That would be my aspiration for our church, that when one person suffers, wouldn't it be great for us all to be so with them in it, so concerned, so involved, so willing to give our time to be with them or to do things to help them, whatever, that as, they, as God brings them through that suffering, we all feel like we are brought through that suffering with that person. We're all in this together. That's why Paul's uh, kind of final sign-off of the letter is so positive and encouraging, but also challenging. It really sums up the whole letter. He, he's, he's really encouraged, he's really positive, but he also wants to really challenge them to be all that they can be together as God's family. Look at verses 11 to 14. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Sometimes people get distracted by that because it's a bit culturally foreign to us. But isn't it fascinating that this is the letter that Paul says that, where there's such potential and such tension, just keep close to each other, keep growing in your relationships. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It's like Paul saying, I know that's what you want. I know that you can do it by God's strength. Come on, we're all in this together. Power is perfected in serving each other as God's family. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your uh, incredible grace in bringing us into your family, not because uh, of anything we deserve or anything good in us, but just because of your incredible love and desire to share life with us. Uh, please help us to see that uh, as weak as it might appear to serve other people and give ourselves up for other people, that this is actually the, the joy of family life. And it is such an incredible privilege that we can have that with you together. So Father, please, uh, please grow us in uh, genuine love for each other. Uh, please grow us in genuine appreciation for our differences. Please uh, grow us in looking for opportunities and taking steps to serve each other, to invest our lives in each other, to spend time with each other, to be your family together. Amen.